0: Good morning. Good morning. Good to be here with you guys today. Did anyone here go to uh, Topeka West High School by chance? Actually, there are a few people. Excellent. If, you don't, if you're not familiar, Topeka West is located just a few blocks to the north of us here on Bell. Uh, that's my high school. The class of 1979 celebrated their 40th reunion this summer. That's my class, 79, 40 years. It is hard to believe, right? No? It's hard to believe. Uh, they had a great turnout at the reunion, so I'm told I wouldn't actually know because I wasn't there. I've kept my perfect record alive for never, ever, ever attending a high school reunion. <laughs> yes! and, I, and I probably always will. Whenever these roll around, my wife always says, hey, let's go to the reunion, this will be a blast. I'm thinking, nope, it would not. This is gonna be awful, we're not going to the reunion it's primarily because I don't remember people from 40 years ago. Occasionally I will meet somebody now and they'll introduce themselves to me and they'll say, "Hey, we went to high school together." And in my mind I'm thinking, "Hey, we did? I have no idea who you are." <laughs> and it's it, it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing for them, it's embarrassing for me. I just don't remember that. But I did have a I did have a core small group of friends uh, from that time that I do remember. And three of us got together for lunch this last summer. And we, the three of us had not been in the same room together in 40 years. And as old friends do, we just sat down and we started falling in. And the other two primarily started telling stories uh, from back in the day. And I was astounded that story after story started coming out. And these stories were like they had just happened for them. They were fresh. They were, they were special memories. They were precious to them and I wouldn't have remembered them otherwise, I hadn't thought about them in years, but they remembered. They were on the tips of their memories and as they're, as they're talking, as they're sharing, all these, uh, these memories are starting to flood back and it's just awesome, it's, it's kindling my emotions for them, for the friendship that we had, for the times that we had there in high school and it, was, and it was awesome. And as I'm leaving, I'm out on the street and I'm thinking to myself, what in the world is wrong with me? Why don't I remember like they remember? Are these memories, are they not special to me? Do I not appreciate what God had provided in those days? I thought, I need, to, I need to check this. I need to see what's going on in my heart related to that. And that's our theme for this morning, this thought of remembering, remembering well, of cultivating a good memory. And today what we're going to do, we're going to use our memories in a way, uh, in a right way that rightly gives God the glory that he is due. And we're, as we remember, we're going to respond to God and we are going to rejoice in the Lord today as a result of what we're going to remember. Now, today is the start of the Elders Fall teaching series and this year's theme is the Psalms. And so over the next five weeks, you're going to hear from each one of the elders and they are going to be teaching on one of their favorite psalms. So this is not meant to be an exhaustive study. We're not looking at how the Psalter was assembled. We're not looking at all the divisions and categories the psalms are are divided into. Rather, this is just going to be a series on our favorite psalms, what we'd like to talk about. Now, most people have a favorite psalm or psalms. Is that right? Are you thinking of your favorite psalm right now? Uh, I've asked a number of you, uh, what is your favorite psalm? There's always an answer to that. Here's my favorite psalm. Why? Well, there's always a backstory to that. There's always a reason why that's your favorite psalm. These are the ones that you've spent time in. They've comforted you. You've identified with the emotion of the psalm. Maybe they've made sense of the dark night of the soul that you are in. Maybe they've let you know that you are not alone. They've given words to what you didn't know how to express when you're at the height of the mountain or you're in the depths of the valley. God speaks God acts, he interacts with his creation, and as a result, we respond. And in the Psalms, God is giving us a vocabulary. He's giving us a language in which we can appropriately respond to him. Author Philip Yancey, and I have the quote in your study guide there, the full quote, but he says, I come to the Psalms not primarily as a student wanting to acquire knowledge, but rather as a fellow pilgrim wanting to acquire relationship, the Psalms reveal what a heartfelt, soul-starved, single-minded relationship with God looks like. In the Psalms, we have a window into how God interacted and related to Israel and then how Israel responded to him, and it's informative for us. If you guys pray through the Psalms, you know that they can be a heart check for us. You can ask the question... Do I love what God loves? Do I lament the things that are not as they should be? Is my mind thinking clearly? Are my emotions in line with the truth? Am I passionate for God? Through this study, we are praying that God will awaken our souls fully to him, that all that is within us would desire him, that we would have a heartfelt, soul-starved, single-minded relationship with him. Up first today is Psalm 103. This is my far and away favorite psalm. Uh, This has given voice to my prayers for years. It's a song for all seasons. When you are distant from the Lord and you need to repent, you can pray the 103rd. When you are living in the joy of the Lord and your heart is bursting with praise, you can pray the 103rd. The psalm is an absolute goldmine of truth and revelation. There is so much here in this psalm that you could explore it for an entire series or longer. It's just fantastic. The descriptions of this psalm by some commentators are grand, and I wanted to read a couple of these descriptions to you. The commentator Kidner says of Psalm 103 and Psalm 104, he says, In the galaxy of the Psalter, These are twin stars of the first magnitude. Or as Spurgeon says, This 103rd Psalm has ever seemed to us to be the Rosa of the divine chain of mountains of praise, glowing with a ruddier light than any of the rest. It is as the apple tree among the trees of wood, and its golden fruit has a flavor such as no fruit ever bears unless it has been ripened in the full sunshine of mercy. It's high praise for a solemn praise. I'm excited, very excited to work through the 103rd, line by line with you this morning. And so with that, would you bow with me and we'll ask the Lord's blessing on our time together. Lord, a heartfelt, soul-starved, single-minded relationship with you is good. It sounds right. And Lord, we desire that. Lord, it's hard to get there. We are weak to get there. By your spirit, would you come make this true of our lives? Lord, reading your word today, would you reveal yourselves to us in your word? Lord, and as a result, would you receive all honor and glory that you are due? We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So for a uh, a short time, about six months, back in the mid 80s, I was living in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I was attending a church there. I was playing in their their worship band. Um, The church was led by a very energetic and charismatic uh, pastor. And in in the days that I was there, the few days I was there, he would often begin the service by singing the old Andre Crouch song, Bless His Holy Name. Do you guys remember that? Yep. Yep. So there, he, there he'd be. He's, he's very energetic, and he's very sharp. He's in a suit, maybe a three-piece suit. He's standing there, and uh, he'll be accompanied by gospel organ over here, the Hammond B3. It just kicks in, and it's just fantastic. <laughs> and uh, then he'll hold his finger up next to his head like this, next to his face, as in, in a manner to instruct himself and instruct the congregation, and he'll start singing. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all... That is within me, bless his holy name. And then he's going to continue. He has done great things, and he's intense now. He's looking at you for a response. He has done great things, right? The Lord is good. He has done great things, bless his holy name. And then he's going to move on to a bit of call and response. He's going he's to do something like this look at somebody and say, I am blessed, and you'd look at your neighbor, I am blessed, there'd be a little acknowledgement, smile, and he'd say, uh, hey, look at somebody else and say, neighbor, neighbor, I'd rather be here this morning, I'd rather be here this morning, than in the best hospital in America, than in the best hospital in America. And that's exactly what would happen. There'd be laughter, there'd be acknowledgement, there'd be agreement with them, you're, you're right. I'm not in the hospital, I'm in the congregation of the saints this morning. God is good, I am blessed. Bless the Lord, bless his holy name. Now while I didn't always subscribe to what I thought were some theatrics and what was going on there, there is the element of truth and really, really good practice that when we gather together, the thought of instructing ourselves in right thinking, speaking, singing, praying, and encouraging each other in that is good. You know, what should seem to be natural that we would worship God, that creation would worship creator, tends not to be the case. We are In our weakened and our fallen state, we have to constantly be reminded of who God is, reminded of the worship that is due God, reminded of the type of response that is due an infinitely good God. And so this is where we find the psalmist, King David. He is speaking to himself. He is stirring himself up to right thinking and speech. He's instructing himself, and he says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. David knows that God is worthy of everything in him, and so he instructs himself. Soul, wake up heart, mind, strength, wake up, shake off your dullness, don't be numb, don't be mute, bless the Lord. David is speaking to himself, but this psalm that's described as an individual thanksgiving or an individual hymn, this would have been sung in public worship in a liturgical setting as a means of inspiring others to bless the Lord. We begin here with the Psalm with David and each of us exhorting ourselves now to bless the Lord. Now when we bless, we are speaking well of God's greatness and goodness. Sometimes bless is translated as praise, but bless potentially has a deeper and a richer meaning of joyful gratitude, expressing joyful gratitude in a way that makes others more aware of the character of God and the works of God. Now, we add nothing to God in his fullness and his perfection by blessing him, because everything that we have, all ability we have, all blessings we have are from God. But when we bless the Lord, we are a witness to the world declaring God's greatness. Bless the Lord, David is saying, bless Yahweh. Bless the God who was, the God who is, the God who will be. Bless the covenant-making, bless the covenant-keeping God of Israel. Let me bless this great God. Let the world see our great God. And let me do it with all that is within me. So we are exhorting our soul. David's exhorting his soul. We're exhorting our bodies to engage in worship with all that is within us. Our minds are focused. They're sharp. We see truth. We resist distraction for there are no other thoughts as great as our God. Our bodies are engaged. We might be standing. We might be sitting. We're bowing. We're kneeling. We're clapping. We're speaking. We're singing. We're silent. We're shouting. And we are cautioning ourselves not to be hypocrites in worship, not to be a people that honors God with their lips while their hearts are far from Him. We are intentional about engaging our hearts our emotions, our affections. We're asking God to take the truth that we are professing with our mouth, match it with what lives in our hearts so that his truth would inform our emotions and affections that we could be whole, we could be undivided, we could be worshiping in complete integrity. And we do this all with all of our strength. There's an ability here, there's life here, There's an energy in blessing the Lord. Bless his holy name. And this is simply, above all, bless him for who he is the God that is completely set apart, the only true God. There is no other, there is no one like our God. Bless his holy name. So there's a lot packed into just verse one. But it's through this vocabulary that God is giving us here that he is awakening us. He's putting us in a position before him for his glory and for our good. He is priming the pump for worship. And we are ready to get down to the joy of remembering. David says again, bless the Lord, O my soul. And this is not vain repetition. This is purposeful because it's serious. Continue to stir yourself up. You're worshiping a holy God. And now he adds, forget not all his benefits. When we forget, in this case, this is more than absent-mindedness. This is an active forgetting. This is an ignoring of the Lord. This is a disobedience to the Lord. So when he says, forget not all his benefits, he's saying, stop. Forgetting his benefits. Bless the Lord and stop forgetting. In the first chapter of Second Peter, you know that Peter exhorts us to supplement our faith with virtue. And then he lists those virtues such as godliness and love. And then he goes on to say, For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. There's a sense of arrogance in our forgetfulness. It's an extreme lack of gratitude. It's as if we don't remember the pit that we were rescued from. But David forgot, Israel forgot, we have forgotten, we tend to be dull and indifferent, and we need to remember David then begins to list the benefits the Lord wants us to remember, and he begins at the beginning. He says, who forgives all your iniquity? He's starting where we all do, all separated from God by our sin. David knows who he is before the Lord. He said, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. And we would say the same, that not only did we begin in sin, we continued in sin and we never even sought a way out of sin. Romans 3 quotes the Psalms when it says, There's none that is righteous, no, not one, no one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless, no one does good, not even one. We were completely without merit. There was nothing we could bring to God. We had no ability. We had no good ideas. We had no good works. All we had was sin. We were completely and utterly without hope. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, and by grace you have been saved, And he raised us up with him, he seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Yes, this is the first and it's the greatest of all God's benefits. It is he who forgives all your iniquity. All of it. Sinners called to God by his grace. Sinners called to God, given the grace to confess our sins, given the grace to repent of our sins. We are forgiven completely. The question is, do we remember that? You know, while we don't unduly dwell on our past, because God does not, in his mercy he does not, do we remember where we are from? Think about this. He has forgiven our anger, our hatred, our wrath, our malice. He has forgiven our slander, our obscene talk, our foolish talk, our crude joking, our lying. He has forgiven our arrogance and pride, our sexual immorality, our impurity, our idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, rivalries, dissensions, division. He's forgiven our envy our drunkenness, our abuse, violence, adultery, theft, greed. He has forgiven our sins of commission. He has forgiven our sins of omission. And to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments, he is the God that will continue to forgive. He is the ongoing forgiving God. Amen. Through Jesus, we've been reconciled to God. We are at peace with God by the blood of Jesus's cross. And this is the greatest expression of love the world has ever known. And it is only through this forgiveness and this reconciliation that any of the other benefits can be known. And so it is here in this act of restoration, God is now gonna throw open the floodgates of his blessings and his benefits so that in this life and all of eternity, we are going to marvel and bless his name. In gratitude, David is going to pile up the record of God's goodness. So he begins with, who forgives all your iniquity? And now he adds, who heals all your diseases? He heals all your diseases. Now, right out of the gate, we may stumble here. David is declaring the truth of God's healing, but what does that mean? In David's experience, our ordinary experience, we have not realized healing from all our physical diseases. The phrases forgives iniquity, heals your diseases are parallel. We know that God will forgive immediately, but does he always heal? No, not always, not yet. And in healing, we do see this side of eternity, we know is only temporary. So how do we enjoy this benefit? How are we to think about that he heals all our diseases? And there's three things to note here. First, there is a time coming when all these promises are fulfilled in full in the coming age at the new earth. All sins will be forgiven and we will cease from sinning. All diseases will be healed and we will no longer be subject to decay. Above all, We look forward and we long for that day and in that we rejoice. Second, we know that God does heal at his discretion in this life and so when needed, we pray and we ask for healing and any healing that we do receive is directly from him, any of it. Healing from a common cold or healing that is a life-saving miracle, these are all from him and in that we rejoice. But last, when God does allow disease, he allows suffering and sickness. It may actually deepen our relationship with him, which at our core is our ultimate need. And without relationship, it is our ultimate disease. We have the first fruits of the spirit, yet we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. We're living in the tension of the already, and the not yet. We see glimpses of God's healing in the Old Testament. We see Jesus' healings in the New Testament. We've received glimpses of healing in our own lives. We know what is coming. We have the promise that we will be raised from the dead. We will receive new bodies, fully healed. And in that, we bless the Lord who heals all our diseases. And he continues, bless the Lord who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. In our unforgiven iniquity, the pit that we were in was spiritual death and would be eventual eternal death. But the Lord has rescued, redeemed us from death and even hell that we can now live unto him and at the redemption of our bodies that we will live forever. He took us off the path of destruction. He took us up and out of the pit. And at our rescue, when shame should have been our posture, he crowns us with steadfast love and mercy. He honors us. He makes us feel like kings. There is no one like our God There was no one who loves like this. I've been the recipient of great acts of mercy in this life and you have as well, but there's no one who loves like this. God's love is unbounded. We were enemies of God and as if forgiveness and healing and redemption aren't enough, he takes us from the pit, he exalts us to royalty, he crowns us with his own attributes of steadfast love and mercy. He assures us of his constant love towards us. He brings life. He makes us secure. He makes us to stand. And in his steadfast love, he doesn't stop. He continues to pour forth his blessing and he satisfies us with good so that we are renewed. Spiritually and physically, we are renewed. His divine power has granted to us all things that relate to life And Godliness he satisfies us with himself and gives good gifts we are restored to life the weight comes off it's gone we have a new and clear way of seeing this life we have hope we have a purpose we see the end we know the reward and like the eagle we have the strength and the freedom to soar and live this life abandoned to God Bless the Lord, oh my soul. So David has been looking inward. We've been looking inward. And now he's going to lift his head. He's going to look to the horizon. He's going to look forward. He's going to look backwards. He's going to expand our view here. He's going to reflect on history. And he's going to exhort us to rehearse the history of how God has dealt with his people. And in doing so, he's going to give us more reasons to bless his name. And so he continues. He says, The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. These verses reveal the very character of the Lord in his dealings with his people. The Lord heard Israel cry and groan for help during the years of slavery in Egypt, and he brought them out. His ways and acts were made known in the miracles of the Exodus and his judgment of Egypt. But central to the hope for Israel, central to our hope, comes in verse 8. Verse 8 is the proclaimed name of God, and this is central to to the thrust of the Psalm. Israel had been in slavery for 400 years when God worked righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He brought them out of Egypt with great displays of his power. And at the Red Sea, he made a complete end of Egypt's rule over his people. And on the shores of the Red Sea, his people are singing a victory song. And in part, this is what they sang. I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider, he was thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My father's God, I will exalt him. And God continues to show himself powerful and caring as his people set off into the wilderness but his people grumble. The Lord turns bitter water to sweet. He provides water from a rock, bread from heaven. He gives victory in a battle, but his people grumble, but he bears with them. At Mount Sinai, the Lord's presence descends on the mount. The mount is wrapped in smoke. It shakes. There's thunder. There's lightning. There's the blast of his trumpet, and the people are reminded of his power. And yet, in a mere three months after the exodus, after declaring their devotion to God, they have forgotten him. They have forgotten his redemption, his grace. They have forgotten his benefits. And they declare that a golden calf is their God and their salvation. And that is it. They've breached a point at which God will no longer bear with them. And he is ready to pour out his wrath. The Lord will have no other gods before him. But God, in his mercy, has Moses intercede for Israel. He has Moses stand in the breach for Israel. And Moses appeals to God's character. He appeals to God's intention to bless the entire world through his people. And God relents for the sake of his name for the sake of those who fear him God relents and Moses asks to see God's glory as a way to signify that God is now going to continue with his people and so the Lord places Moses in the cleft of the rock the Lord passes before him and the Lord proclaims his name and in part this is what he says The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin. And hearing this, Moses quickly bows himself and he worships the Lord. This is the unchanging character of God. Israel needed that revelation at that time more than ever. David proclaims this passage because we need it more than ever. Our very lives hang on this, that the Lord is merciful, gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. The question of who is God? What is God like? This is the answer. This is our God. And he is not like us. He will not always chide. Nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins. Nor repay us according to our iniquities. Though God is rightly angry over our sin. He doesn't keep it forever. If he did. We would have no hope. If he dealt justly with us. We could not stand. But this is God's love. For as high as the heavens are above the earth. So great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. His love is extravagant, his forgiveness is complete, and we are assured that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God does not keep our sin and parade it before us when we fail him over and over and over again. That is the work of our enemy, the accuser. No, our sin is removed so far from us that the distance cannot even be measured. It is removed to infinity. It is put away for eternity. And the thought of what God is saying here, it is so high It is so vast that it's even hard to take in and understand and fully appreciate what he's saying. But in his perfection, he is so close to us that we know him as a good father. And as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. The Lord knows us better than we know ourselves. He created us from the dust. He knows us intimately. We are his image bearers. We are weak and failing, yet he is tender and compassionate. In Jesus, we have a great high priest who is tempted just as we are and is able to sympathize with us in our weakness. We have no fear to run to the arms of a good father who will hold us forever in his embrace of mercy and grace. Yet we are dust, and these temporary bodies, they will return to dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it, and it's gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. We are fading. We are dying. But the love that redeemed us from the pit is everlasting. We were chosen in Jesus before the foundations of the world to be adopted as his sons. Now nothing will separate us from the love of God, not even death. We will live in the joy of the Lord's steadfast love forever. And that's a promise. And beyond that, there's a promise here that the Lord will do the same for our children and our children's children if they keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. And we see that in the generations of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We see that in the narrative of the Bible We rehearse that history, we bless the Lord for that. But we also have a more recent history to rehearse. How has God shown himself faithful to our generations? Are we here reconciled to God by a line that's been traced back through the generations? Or maybe maybe you're the first to come to faith in your family and now a line is being traced forward into the generations. But God is faithful, and we need to remember and rehearse what that looks like. And I want to depart here for just a moment. I want to show you what a picture of God's faithfulness to my generations looks like. These are some people that God did not deal with according to their sin. And the first is my great-grandfather. That's David D. Ediger the Lord was faithful to save him and satisfied him with good so that his youth was renewed like the eagles. And the Lord was faithful to save his son, David K. Ediger. that's my grandpa. My grandpa was keenly aware that the Lord had saved him and redeemed him from the pit and taken his life off the path that would head to destruction. And so he was keenly aware that you too were on a path of destruction. And so in my days, the gospel of Christ was always on his lips. It was always at the ready. And the Lord was faithful to save his son. That's Robert D. Ettinger. That's my dad and my mom. The Lord knew that my dad needed to understand his grace. And so as a father shows compassion to his children, he showed compassion and tenderness to my dad, and he saved him. And the Lord was faithful to save his son. For no other reason than God's glory, he saved me. And he's removed my transgressions from me as far as the east is from the west. And the Lord was faithful to save my three children. That's my daughter, Caitlin the Lord describes his love for Caitlin as being as high as the heavens are above the earth. And the Lord graced Caitlin and Chris with new life in Charlotte. That's my granddaughter. from the day she was born that I've asked God would grant her repentance unto salvation, that he would set his steadfast love and mercy on her that she would follow after him and that he would continue his promise to the generations. We want to see those we love more than anything in eternity with the Lord and enjoying the benefits of his love in this life. But infinitely more important than that is that they would bless the Lord, that she would praise her Redeemer Our infinite God is worthy of all praise from all creation. It's why we have life, that we may glorify the Lord. And we find our true north, we find our true satisfaction in giving glory to God. And it is only right that Charlotte would bless the Lord. And so for the sake of God's glory, parents and grandparents, we are careful how we walk before our children, We teach them to keep his covenant, to do his commandments, and we can take great comfort. If they will walk after him, they will know the steadfast love of the Lord. But this is really important here because this is the third time that the psalm has stated it. This psalm is directed to those who have been reconciled to God by the cross of Jesus It's directed to those who keep his commandments, those who fear him, and those who honor him. Outside of God's salvation, there are no benefits to remember. There is no forgiveness of sin. There's no redemption from the pit. And there's no promise of everlasting love. And if this is you, if you are here this morning and you are outside a relationship with God, know this. God has been pursuing you all of your life, and he loves you. If you will turn to him now, and if you will repent of your sin, if you will trust in Jesus alone for your salvation, he will forgive you today. You will be born again, you will begin again, and he will set his steadfast love and mercy on you. And you will join with all those that have been redeemed through the ages who bless his holy name. If that is you today and you'd like to talk about that, would you seek me out or one of the leaders out immediately after this service? So David is approaching the summit of the psalm. The Lord is speaking to him. David is rejoicing. We are rejoicing. The Lord is leading him on a path that is renewing his strength. The Lord is kindling his affections the Lord is filling up David's mind and his heart and his soul with the revelation of who he is, and it is glorious. The Lord is beautiful before him. He is majestic, and David bursts forth with praise. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. He is creator and creation's redeemer. All things belong to him His kingdom extends from the height of the heavens to the depths of the earth. As far as the east is from the west, he rightfully rules it all. And at this thought, David knows this is not enough that he alone would bless the Lord. And so he calls to the angels. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. He's calling on the vast number of heavenly hosts who live in the presence of God, who are mighty to do his word. We are weak and stumble, but the angels never fail to bless the Lord. God is worthy of that exalted devotion, and so he calls out, angels, bless the Lord. And yet it's not enough, and he cries out again, bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. All the angels, all of mankind, All of nature are called forth to bless the Lord. Praise him, sun, moon, stars. Praise him, you great sea creatures in all deeps. Fire and hail, snow and mist, stormy wind, mountains and hills and trees, beasts and livestock, creeping things and flying things. Let them praise the name of the Lord for his name alone is exalted. His majesty is above the earth and heaven. All the universe is united in a chorus of praise. And David will not be left out. And he adds his voice again Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. This is David's song to the Lord. This is our song to the Lord for now and forevermore. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say again, rejoice. Would you stand with me, please? And worship team, if you'd like to come at this time. This psalm is perfect. As all God's word is, it's perfect. And it is a precious, precious gift given to us by our good father to show us how to respond to him. Hide the psalm in your heart. Meditate on it. Chew on these words. Declare it to yourself. Yourself. Declare it to your family. Declare it here in the congregation. And declare it to the world. The Lord is worthy. Bless his holy name. Now, with all that is within us, our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Let us together, we're going to repeat this last stanza of the psalm. And we will declare it. The Lord